The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Totally Useless Information Podcast with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Today on the show, we'll talk about these topics. History, food, science, and fashion. So listen, laugh, and learn. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 12. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. The Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. Listen to around the world. Happened today's history. What happens tomorrow is history. Yeah. If you have a hooker in your life and you're wondering where that came from, where the term hooker. A hooker? Yes, a hooker. You have a hooker? No, I'm asking the audience, or just asking, like, generically, almost uh, hypothetically. If you have a hooker in your life, and you've wondered where the term hooker came from, it originated in the Civil War by General Joseph, all together now, Hooker. (laughs) General Joseph Hooker brought prostitutes along on the campaigns for his men because, you know, it's quite tedious to fight a civil war, and the name stuck. So thanks to General Joseph Hooker, that's why prostitutes are known as hookers today. Yeah, because think about it. It's like a perfect scenario because if you win, you come back, and you're like, we won. They're like, yes, let's all have sex. And then if you lose, they go, oh, we lost. And they go, don't worry. Let's go have sex. (laughs) Either way, they win. Yes. Smart. <laughs> John James Audubon, the amazing painter. He's a famous, famous painter for painting birds and wildlife, but 90% birds in the wild. Of course, every tree-hugging hippie has one of his prints hanging in their tiny houses. Wait a minute. Hold on. Did you say, what did you say? The tree what? Tree-hugging hippies. Look at all the pretty trees. I just want to hug them. All of the pretty trees. Yeah. 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 So James Autobahn, John James Autobahn, the famous painter, Mm -hmm. painted these wonderful birds. And of course, every environmentalist loves John James Autobahn. But did you know... Most of the time, he killed the birds, had them stuffed, placed in a position on a branch, and then he painted them. (laughs) He was a homicidal maniac. (laughs) His last name was Autobahn. I I thought this was going to go in a totally different direction. I thought because he killed all those birds and he wanted to make a clean getaway, he sped down the highway 
so fast right. that they named the highway Ooh, after the Autobahn. The Autobahn, right? but that's it's not the case. Liechtenstein. <laughs> <laughs> so no, really. Can you imagine this guy killed all these birds and stuffed them to paint them? It's the most horrible thing you could do. Yeah, I can see if you're a hunter, you shoot a bird and you eat it. But Mr. Autobahn did it for the sheer pleasure of painting it and then threw it, I guess, in the garbage pail. How horrible. I really thought you were going to go down that road, like literally the Autobahn, but it's not. See, even I learned something on this show. That's why we say, listen, laugh, and learn. No flies on the pharaohs. Now, if you're wondering if the pharaohs way back when had flies on them, they didn't. And here's the reason why. In ancient Egypt, servants were smeared with honey to attract the flies away from the pharaohs. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, and, and the pharaohs' wives would go, come here, sweetie. <laughs> Say, honey, and the servants, all the servants in one will turn their heads and go, yes, dear? <laughs> they go, honey, and they just start throwing it on themselves. Ew. Wow. In the UK in the 17th century, if a woman spoke out of turn or inappropriately against her husband, she was forced to wear a branks, B-R-A-N-K-S, a branks, mm-hmm. or a bridal muzzle, or also known as a scold's bridle. They were metal cages that were placed over the woman's head, not giving her the ability to speak or move her mouth. The 17th century, a time when men were men and women were women. <laughs> we're quiet i guess get in the cage alice well okay and i'll tell you this and maybe this is how the, uh, the women throughout history got back at their men in renaissance france a woman could take her husband to court if he was impotent right so back in the 16th century europe marriages won't weren't so easy to dissolve like it is today and legal grounds for divorce including reasons that might shock many of us today, including erectile dysfunction. You know what I was thinking? If the guy was afraid of snakes, does that make him reptile dysfunctional? Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. the issue was actually a major reason for marital annulment as early as the 13th century in Europe. In countries like France, Spain, and England, and in some cases, it was the only acceptable reason that you can actually annul the marriage. And apparently, there were so many mistrials because of... A hung jury. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, if I was ever going to have to go to war, I would have picked like uh, Hooker's uh, regiment there. Yes. I would have been like, hell, I'm going with Hooker. He's a party animal. <laughs> I might die, but I'll be happy. Okay, in 1929, the same people that wanted to ban alcohol wanted to ban women from smoking, make it illegal for women to smoke. They would spend hard time in jail. Okay, women took to the streets to win the right to smoke. They were called, they walked around with signs that said, Torches of Liberty. Okay, it only lasted, the the actual uh, street demonstration lasted 10 minutes because they all stopped for a cigarette break. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey buddy, you got a light? (laughs) (laughs) This now is a story in our history section of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, King Henry VIII and the Grooms of Stool. 
In medieval mm -hmm. England, servants assisted monarchs in virtually everything, including providing royalty with, quote, assistance when it came time for the king in question to spend some time on his throne, the porcelain throne. These servants were known as the grooms of stool, not mm -hmm. because they were sitting on one, and it was they who would aid the king when nature called. Essentially, the groom of the stool is required to carry around a portable commode and be around the king or the queen at all times, along with water, towels, and a wash bowl. So whenever the king or the queen had to go, they have suitable facilities at their disposal. Although the job might sound a little demeaning to you and I, it was actually a very coveted position that often went to sons of noblemen. So could you imagine? That's my son over there. He's helping the king. I'm so proud. Yeah. I'm so proud of the way he wipes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the groom of the stool spent a lot of time with the king, which meant that he was privy to the confessions of monarchs at their most vulnerable states. So even though it seemed like a crappy job, they mm -hmm. were in on lots of the stuff that was going on. Could you imagine them? the kid comes home late and the father's like, where were you? And he's like, I, I'm sorry, I'm late, Dad. There was a log jam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they had the ear and the rear of the king. Okay, the first submarine ever used in combat, 1775, was the first submarine that was built. It was probably just a boat with a hole in it. But <laughs> it was used in combat in 1776 against the British ship, the Eagle. Okay, the ship itself was called the, the submarine was called the turtle. So, again, just think about going into battle going, OK, what are we in the turtle? What are we going up against the eagle? <laughs> OK, right off the bat, it was scrapped. The old turtle went away because it was uncontrollable and they never got to even fire at the ship. So, yeah. <laughs> Of course, when they came out of the submarine, they came out of their shell. Turtle? Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Fashion Show. Nick is sporting a knockout pair of Wrangler jeans. Roy is wearing a breezy, ripped Iron Maiden t-shirt. The fancy pumpkin beret finishes his ensemble. Yes, it looks so lovely on you. What do you got? Okay, the bob haircut. It was famous for a very long time. In fact, some women still get the bob haircut. But did you know that it was inspired by, get ready, Joan of Arc of France? Ugh. But anyway, Joan of Arc cut her hair short. She had beautiful, long, braided hair that she went into battle with. But she cut her hair short because she said she was told to do it in a vision or a dream. Okay, I think she just said, we got to go into battle in about five minutes. I really don't have time to blow this out. Right. <laughs> yes. I thought maybe jo you were going to say that Joan of Arc's brother's name was Bob, and that's how she got the Bob haircut, but I guess not. No, women did not have short hair at the time. Women had long hair. Some men had long hair, longer hair as well. But women did not have short hair, so she had to look odd but it only becomes a fashion statement uh later on uh teenagers everywhere would like to thank the famous author mark twain 
the inventor of the bra clasp. The elastic hook clasp at the back of nearly every bra was an invention of Mark Twain that he patented in 1871 under his given name, Samuel L. Clemens. He called it, quote, an improvement in adjustable and detachable straps for garments. They were into long names back then. Uh, Twain made no mention of the ladies undergarments, in fact, in his patent application, referring instead to the vest, pantaloons, or other garments upon which my strap is to be used. But they found a greater use for it on bras. The bra clasp, thanks to Mark Twain. Cool. The denim pants that we all call jeans, J-E-A-N-S, made famous by Mr. Levi Strauss, are named after sailors. Now, Levi wanted to call them waist-high overalls until somebody said, Listen, Levi, you got nice jeans here, okay? Go in the corner and sew. Leave the marketing to the marketing guys. But anyway, yes. they named the actual jeans after Genoa, Italy sailors who wore these blue pant outfits. And so somebody said, wow, those look like the same color pants that those Genoa sailors, the jeans, they called them the jeans, the Genoa yeah. sailors. And so they named them jeans. That's cool. Coco Chanel invented the little black dress concept. You know the little black dress? Yo, well, you have to have, if you're a woman, you have to have a little black dress. The LBD, as it were, the specific little black dress so famously associated with Chanel, it appeared in a 1926 issue of Vogue, a simple calf-length design, shown with a plain string of pearls that was distinct in its contrast to the heavily embellished flapper styles. So Audrey Hepburn, if you remember from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah, black dress, sure. That's what made it, yeah. What was her name? Holly Golightly. In the opening scene of Breakfast at Tiffany's, the movie spawned a million Halloween costumes. The level of exposure may have truly cemented the little black dress as a cultural touchstone, so much so that we've turned it into the acronym, as I said, LBD, Little Black Dress. Yeah, it's amazing. We were we were in the car driving on a long trip this weekend, and um, we were looking on the phone at things, and most beautiful actresses of all times. The number one was Audrey Hepburn, which I would have not expected. I said, like, Raquel Welch, Marilyn Monroe, you know. They were in the top ten, but not the number one. Mm -hmm. Okay, over a lifetime, the average woman will spend $125,000 on clothing or what my wife calls a weekend shopping spree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, yeah. You're they the will buy over 3,000 individual outfits, complete outfits, over a lifetime. Okay? Uh, my wife has 3,000 pairs of shoes. So, <laughs> yeah. she has a shoe fetish. Yes. Uh, Which is great because I have a foot fetish. Well, if the shoe fits. <laughs> uh, Louis Vuitton bags. In 1892, in the World's Fair, Louis Vuitton, the designer, began making handbags. That is the product that, that's, uh, this is the product, of course, that made Louis Vuitton the brand most famous. So because of that World Fair appearance, he was made famous. There is no wonder since Louis Vuitton handbags were waterproof and fireproof. 
That's why it was a big hit at the World's Fair. Yeah. Well, you know, he was the big maker of steam trunks, steamer trunks. Mm, that's how he got started, Louis Vuitton. Which is also waterproof and, waterproof and fireproof. They didn't do too well on the Titanic, but, you know, they, they were waterproof. Ladies, here's the plain truth. 90% of the fashion industry is run by men. No, get out. They are the designers. They run the magazines. They run the fashion houses. And they run 85% of the stores. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, the next time you say, you know, that we really don't care too much and all this stuff about fashion and shopping or whatever, what are you talking about? We create it. <laughs> like it. Earlier in this segment, you were talking about the jeans, where the, the word jeans came from. So, mm -hmm. I'm... I live in Toronto, Canada. Roy is in uh, Fort Myers, Florida. Up here in Canada, we have this fashion item, the Canadian tuxedo. The idea probably came from a 1951 story that entertainer Bing Crosby was barred from entering a Vancouver hotel because he was dressed completely in denim. Levi Strauss and Company heard about the incident and designed a special suit jacket made out of their signature Levi Strauss denim, complete with copper rivets and wide tuxedo lapels, so that Crosby would be welcome in any establishment in his 501s. Wow. Canadian tuxedo. Crazy. It is. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. And now, for something completely useless... In April 2017, Pixie commissioned the nation's largest independent lost and found survey and discovered that Americans spend around two and a half days each year, in total, looking for lost things. Okay? The most, so imagine two and a half days per year spent looking for lost items. The most commonly misplaced items include remotes. Everyone can relate to that. Phones. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Keys and glasses. Now, luckily, I'm still looking for my mind. Yes, you've lost your mind. Yes. It'll take you more than <laughs> two and a half days. Luckily, the survey also found that 29% of the people who've lost their wallet or purse have had them returned to them. That was a pretty good odd. So imagine 29% of the people asked. So I'm trying to figure out where, you know what? I, I had more information, but I lost it. I'm sorry. I had more. Yeah, see? Yeah. I want to go back to 1976 and find my virginity. Did <laughs> <laughs> you thank uh, General Joseph Hooker for that one? I don't know. Yeah, thank you, General. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. You can email us. Go to nickandroy.com and send us an email. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Yeah, our website's on fire. If you haven't been to our website, nickandroy.com, that's nickandroy.com. It doesn't get much easier than that. Nope. Okay, so let's look into the mailbag. And what do we have here? Jose from Cancun, Mexico. So we do have a lot of listeners in Mexico, and I love Cancun. You been there, Nick? 
No, not yet, but I will eventually. Yes, Cancun is beautiful. I've been to Acapulco, Cancun, a couple other places in Mexico. Love Mexico. Very, very nice. Jose says, like the show. Okay. And and then he says, gets right to it. He's a man of very few words. He says, are you and Nick really friends or is it just a show? Are you actors? Question mark, question mark. And I'm like, really? <laughs> well, wait, I mean, really? Jose? What was his name? Jose? Like, yeah, Jose. It's like, Jose, do I ask you stupid questions? Like, do you have a sister named Hose B? <laughs> no hold on hold on before you continue i i think it's a great question and i think if jose thinks that we're actors obviously we're good at this we should get like some sort of like award like an emmy or a grant uh, or a, or a, a, a academy award right academy award yeah there you go so yeah so we did we went to high school together we we literally are truly best friends for how many years 40 years it's just insane yep it is so we truly are friends so thanks jose wow so once yeah again, jose thank you for that uh but yes uh maybe maybe you just thought we were really good actors i'm sorry to, <laughs> to ruin that for you but go to nickandroy.com folks go to nickandroy.com you can leave us an email if you leave us an email we're going to talk about it on the show, so you'll get a little, uh, you know, shout out. It's really simple. Go to nickandroy.com right on the front page. We couldn't make it any easier. Click on the button that says contact us, and we'll get the email. And if you're lucky enough for us to pick your email, we'll read it on the show and then make fun of you. Your weekly sweet and savory facts of totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Come and get it! Ketchup, Heinz ketchup specifically, leaves the bottle at a rate of 25 miles per year. That's about 0.00684 miles per day or 0.0057 miles per hour. Okay? So because, as I mentioned earlier, Roy's in Florida, I'm in Toronto, it would take me about 146 days. If I were to take the ketchup train down to Florida from Toronto, it would take me 146 days, 3 hours and 17 minutes to travel to where Roy is in Florida. Are you allowed to do that? Wouldn't you have to check back in with Canada? Yes, I would. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> get some sort of visa or something to come in. Maybe that's why they call it ketchup. That's right. <laughs> Catch me if you can. Wow. I've already shattered many Americans' dreams when I said that apple pie wasn't American. I believe I did that in a couple of weeks ago's show. Mm -hmm. And we did get some responses from that where people said American apple pie is different than English apple pie. And that Dutch apple pie has lattice on it, even though lattice on the top, which we said that to people, but they weren't listening. But I have another one, so I assume we'll get some more mail. But guess what? American cheese was invented in Switzerland. <laughs> I got one even better for you. It was invented by Waltz Garabach, because you have to say it like that. Right. Und Fritz Stelter. <laughs> in 1911 hold on you know what i noticed about you when you talk like in german or or imitate german it sounds like you're angry 
Yeah, it does. Well, you know, because because I'm doing like first. Yeah, you were saying. Sorry, yes. Go on. Yeah, Walt Gerber and Fritz Steltler. Steltler in 1911, they invented this cheese product out of using cheese curd, very little cheese curd and milk and some preservatives so that they could ship their cheese over to America without it going bad. So they created this cheese, and when it got here, they were like, oh, let's just stamp this American cheese. It looks pretty good. And who the hell are Waltz and Fritz ain't going to (laughs) know? We're not sure of the authenticity of that story because a lot of holes in that story. (laughs) Can you imagine them sitting there going, well, let's see, we have the Swiss cheese. What else we can make? Just like that. (laughs) Now, you talk about apples in Washington State, in the United States. Every apple is picked by hand. And in a single year, if you were to take all of the apples and place them side by side, they would circle around the earth 29 times. If you were to take every single apple, which are hand-picked, a lot of tired hands from picking apples, 29 times around the earth if you were to place them side by side. A lot of apples from Washington State. Great apples. That was very smart. That's like a different cider of you. <laughs> Sign of you. It's <laughs> <laughs> part of my core project, really. <laughs> Loud music makes you drink more and faster. What? Yes. Loud music makes you drink more and faster. Okay. And and I thought about it and I said, think about this. You rarely see people doing shots in an elevator, right? Yeah. Because the music in the background is like elevator music, right? Or Or you don't see them like shaking the drink shaker and sitting there and drinking at a retirement home. No, they have like... Friggin', what's that drink that the insure? But <laughs> yeah. blasting rock, or or if you're in a club, dance music blasting. What do you have? You have people screaming, "Bring me another round of kamikazes!" <laughs> so it works. Think That's about it. Cool. So the next time you have an ice cream cone, you have to think of Italo Marchionne. He immigrated from Italy in the late 1800s, invented his ice cream cone in New York City, and a patent was granted in December of 1903. So in 1900s, the patent came around for the first ice cream cone. Although Marchione is credited for the invention of the cone, a similar creation was independently introduced at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair by a Syrian gentleman... He was selling a crisp waffle-like pastry in the booth right next to an ice cream vendor. So because of the ice cream's popularity, the vendor ran out of dishes. So Ernest Hamwi was his name. He saw an easy solution to the ice cream vendor's problem. He quickly rolled out one of his wafer-like waffles in the shape of a cone and gave it to the ice cream vendor. So that's where the waffle cone came from. Could you imagine the guy screaming over, Hey, infidel! Give me a quart of ice cream. (laughs) So even though the cone cooled down in a few seconds, the vendor put some ice cream on it, the customers were happy, and the cone was on its way to becoming the great American institution that it is today, thanks to two people, an Italian and a Syrian. Sounds Mm -hmm. like a joke, right? An Italian and a Syrian walk into an ice cream parlor. (laughs) That's a coney story. All right, in the food section of our totally useless information with Nick and Roy, here's some food jokes, okay? What do you get from a pampered cow from a ritzy farm? 
Spoiled milk. <laughs> what types of magazines do cows read? Catalogs. <laughs> Where do you learn how to make banana splits? At Sunday school. <laughs> okay, the original Three Musketeer bar mm -hmm. was named because it had vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry flavors. That's why it was a Three Musketeer. It had all three flavors. But during World War II, it got very hard to get these flavors. And the only thing that was really available in bulk was chocolate. So they began to just use the chocolate flavoring to make the Three Musketeers. And after the war, they never went back because they said, why should we? And then, of course, it didn't make sense to call it the One Musketeer. So they called it the Three Musketeers, still left the name. That's pretty cool. I thought it was named after the Three Musketeers, but it's not. It's actually the flavors. The three flavors, yes. Well, that's the food. Time for the news. And now, from around the corner and around the world, this is TUI News. Here are your anchors, Nick and Roar. Really uh, official on this show. Uh, an overweight Chinese man was found with his big belly, and it turned out mm -hmm. to be a lifesaver. After he got stuck, okay. Cherry peppermint. Not that kind of lifesaver. <laughs> uh, so, a, okay, an overweight Chinese man found his big belly to be a lifesaver. After he got weighed in in a well, it stopped him from falling down. Twenty-eight. <laughs> The 28-year-old, identified as Liu, got trapped in his family's well after breaking through wood that had been used to cover it in Hunan province. As rescuers arrived, the shirtless man patiently waited with his arms crossed. He remained that way. He was in a sumo thing, like a thong or whatever. That's right. And he's sitting in this well, right? Because he, he tried to stand on the piece of wood that was covering the well and he came through. But because of his big fat belly, okay, he was saved. He remained that way as gobsmacked locals watched a team of five firefighters tie a strong rope around his waist and finally heave him out of safety, totally unharmed. So don't worry, he's fine. The fire service had estimated his weight as 500 pounds, although other witnesses say it was closer to 300 pounds. No, he weighed one ton. <laughs> one ton. One ton. Thank you. That's a lot of beef and broccoli. Yes. The force said he was only survived because he was too fat to fall down as he seemingly jumped on the wood covering the well. See, with that, that, that just proves that, you know, you, you should not make fun of fat people because you never know when you're going to be walking close to a well and have to step on their heads to get over it. It won't go well. <laughs> you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. I was a moron. The five-second rule. We've heard of the five-second rule. You drop a piece of uh, food on the floor. Are we in the sex segment? The oh, five-second no, no. rule? This is science. <laughs> this is science, okay? Five seconds. You wish. Uh, don't take your chances with food on the floor. Researchers at Clemson University left bologna and bread on a surface contaminated with salmonella for just five seconds. They found 
in the five seconds in the samples, they collected anywhere from 150 and 8,000 bacteria in five seconds. It literally sat it on the salmonella for five seconds? Five seconds. If it falls on the floor, feed it to the pig. Or feed it to the fat man stuck in a well. I'll still eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because even if that guy got sick, yeah. I'm sure that his feet were dangling in there so that if he had some bowel problems, it just would have went right in the well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, ready? Get ready to heave ho. And he'd be like, no, wait one minute. <laughs> and then he launches himself right out of the well. You know, it's like. <laughs> the Chinese shot up another space flight today. It was Wang Li. <laughs> Eustace at NickAndRoy.com is where you can send your complaints like everyone else has. In 1999, Harvard scientists and physicist Lian Hu, Who? Len Yu Hu, was able to slow down light to 17 meters per second. Okay. In 2001, the same guy, he was able to stop light. Okay. Hey, Len Yu. You should have called me in 1998. I could have told you about a light switch. <laughs> <laughs> I stop light every night when I want to go to sleep. <laughs> you have to ask the right questions to the right people. Hey, hey Len Hu, you, your brother fell in the well. <laughs> that was you? No, that was my brother. That was you? <laughs> a ball of glass will bounce mm -hmm. higher than a ball of rubber. Okay, I'll say it again. A ball of glass will bounce higher than a ball of rubber. A ball of solid steel will bounce you higher. Know, can I interrupt you for one second? Nick likes to talk about uh, certain things, but most of the time, and maybe every couple of shows, Nick loves to talk about his balls. But go ahead. Yes, they're important. <laughs> they're functional. Okay. Now, the glass ball... Bounces higher than a ball of rubber. A solid ball of steel will bounce higher than one made entirely out of glass. So the steel ball bounces the highest? Yes, when you do the math correctly. Plus, I guess when you drop the glass ball, you shatter the glass ball. That's true. And so all, yeah. the other balls, all the other balls yeah. will bounce higher. Uh, they got to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Luigi, blow some more glass, huh? Hey, Luigi, we need another glass of ball. Yes. What do you do? What's the matter for you? Wow. Scientists are hopeful that they'll be able to create a synthetic brain by the year 2023. Have they listened to this show? That's close. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Could you imagine they fill it with all this crap that we talk about? <laughs> oh, my God. They are... They are Coming close now, and to they're breaking down the brain to the cellular level and then reconstructing it synthetically. They hope it will shed light on consciousness and why the brain does what it does. Now let's hope they invent some synthetic aspirin for all those brains that are going to have a headache. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Why are we here? Yes. I don't know. Let's ask the synthetic brain. <laughs> It's known that you really can't sneeze with your eyes open. 
as a reflex, we sneeze with our eyes closed. David Houston, doctor, associate dean of Texas A&M, College of Medicine, an allergist at, a, at the Houston Methodist Hospital, said it's absolutely possible to sneeze without closing the eyes. Okay? The fact that it is possible to sneeze with your eyes open suggests it is not hardwired or mandatory. There's no definitive data as to why sneezing makes you blink, but it is a reflective of a protective mechanism. The body works to get rid of its airwaves by sneezing when it detects irritants, like us, by automatically shutting the eyelids when a sneeze occurs. More irritants can potentially be prevented from entering and aggravating the eyes. So they're studying a way to figure out why exactly we close our eyes when we sneeze. I really didn't care about that. <laughs> I think you had your eyes closed throughout the whole time. You talk about breaking news. 32,000 years ago, a squirrel hid a piece of fruit in the permafrost of the Arctic. Oh. It was subsequently found recently, and get ready, scientists have taken a seed out of that piece of fruit, and they've grown a plant. That plant is now growing, and we will probably get some fruit that is from a 32,000-year-old piece of fruit. And there's also this poor little hungry squirrel walking around with a cane, very, very old, looking for his lunch. <laughs> no, but I know you... I put it here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's what I thought you were going to say, right? And, and again, Roy and I don't uh, tell each other what we're going to say on the show. We talk about the topics we're going to present, but not the facts. I thought you were going to say that when they planted the seed, frozen juice was created. <laughs> Yelling can heat up your coffee. If you yelled consistently for eight years, seven months, and six days, you would have produced enough sound energy to heat up a cup of coffee. Okay? My wife boils a whole pot. <laughs> <laughs> so remember that the next time you go to your favorite coffee place and you get your order wrong and you start yelling, you're actually heating up everyone else's coffee that they got the order right. Yeah, after she hears this tomorrow morning, I'm going to be like, why does this coffee taste like rat poisoning? Okay. <laughs> Glad I got that out there. <laughs> if you take a bottle of Pepto-Bismol, do you know what Pepto-Bismol is, Nick? Yes, it's the most popular drink in my household. Yeah, <laughs> well, his wife's a great cook. But anyway. <laughs> I'm talking about when I cook, not when she, when I cook. Oh, yeah, I see. He's, a, he's safe. He's not going to get the rat poisoning. <laughs> and notice you go in Nick's garbage pail and it's all takeout boxes. <laughs> No, but now Pepto-Bismol is the pink stuff. Yeah. I don't know if it's as popular now with the younger generation as it was with ours, but every refrigerator had a bottle of Pepto-Bismol in it. But did you know this? If you take the Pepto-Bismol and pour it into a ceramic dish and hit it with a flamethrower, okay, they probably did this stuff in Germany. Bring in the flamethrower! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you hit it with a flamethrower and get it hot enough, it will turn into metal. Now, it must have, I guess, be a lot of zinc or some, some metal objects are in it. It will then become a piece of metal. So that is weird. You know what's weird? We're done. We're all done with this show. That's it. No. Yeah. 
The whole show is gone. It's done. Finito. If you go to nickandroy.com, you see a picture of me and Nick at a party, and we're like completely ossified. Yes. It must have been loud music playing because we're yes, drunk. It's really as loud. <laughs> or we're trying to heat up our coffee. Uh, that, is all, <laughs> that is all the time we have for this week's episode. We will scour the internet. You have our word. We will scour it far and wide for more useless information for you next week. So in the meantime, like I said, go to nickandroy.com, nickandroy.com. Tell a friend about the trend. Share us on Facebook. Send us on all over the place on Twitter. And of course, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe the show. It helps us. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>